All right, <clears throat> so let's jump right into it then. Again, like I said, anytime I get to be with you guys, it's an honor to learn alongside you guys, uh, to be before you. It's as a family, uh, and you guys are my family. I see that very much that um, I, I see you more than just church family. I see this as our family, and uh, I'm just excited to be here. And I, yay! There it is. Thank you, sir. And it's crazy to me, I'll be honest with you, that it's August already. Because the last time I was here, I think it wasn't even 4th of July yet. And uh, now it's already August. I mean, it feels like next week's going to be September. We're going to be picking out our harvest costumes already. Picking up, uh, you know, Christmas presents. Happy New Year's, everyone. It's great to see you all. All right, I, but I really do wish that we'd slow down just a bit because it does feel like it's just, this year is just rushing, rushing through. Um, especially this month, I want this month to slow down a lot. August um, is a special, special month to me. Uh, it's my anniversary with my lovely bride of my youth, Alicia, who's running in the back right now, AV. It'll be 16 years. What a blessing, what a blessing. I mean, such a blessing to be married to such a wonderful, giving, compassionate, and radiantly stunning person. Don't you all agree? See, honey, they do agree that I am all those things to you. You're welcome, you're very welcome. Of course I joke because sense of humor is another one of my wonderful traits. So that's why I do that. Uh, a little bit of tough crowd. I didn't get that much laughs on that one. Is it, is it hot in here or is it just me? Right, yeah. No, seriously though, 16 years, 16 years. If I were to look back on these last 16 years and examine our years together, and specifically my role as a husband, I would think for the most part I've checked the husband responsibilities. You know, provide a home, roof over your head. I make sure she's protected, unless it's bees. If there's a swarm of bees, she's on her own. I mean, literally, like, no joke. If it's bees, I've locked her in a house with bees before as I've ran out of the house. I'm not, I'm not proud to say that, but it's happened. But I mean, again, checking off the list, I pay the majority of bills, work hard to make sure that happens. I don't want her to worry about stuff. We spend a lot, we spend a lot of time together. I take her out from time to time for some special dinners, maybe the movies, we'll go on a motorcycle ride. We travel near and far. Got to spend some time internationally, not just in Africa this year, but in Italy, what a wonderful time. It's great. Is it perfect? No, not like me. <laughs> I think sometimes she thinks that I don't listen to her. You know, for example, one time she said to me, um, have you been listening to anything that I've been saying? And I thought to myself, wow, that's a weird way to start a conversation. <laughs> but anyway, you know, Overall, I think I'm pulling my weight, you know? So it hit me a couple weeks back when we were in Africa. Our team's hanging around at a dinner table. We just broke bread together, washing dishes, getting done washing dishes, and I hear my sister. My sister Carol's in the back. She's talking to some people on the team, and she's talking about when I proposed to my wife. And I was like, what the heck is she talking about that for? And she goes to tell them that he proposed to his wife, or soon-to-be wife, with a dictionary. And that's it, she didn't say anything else. She probably provided no context to that. She just told them that I proposed to my wife with a dictionary. And alone, that would seem strange, because I'm sure that the people she was telling, probably like a dictionary, what was he thinking? Like, you know, maybe I told my then dictionary, and inside, there was a hole carved out in the pages. Inside the hole was a box, 
Inside the box was an engagement ring. And when she saw the ring, I said to her this. I have searched through this entire book to find a word that defines the way I feel about you, but couldn't find anything that could suffice. So I want to spend the rest of our lives together so I can show you how I feel. Will you marry me? Come on, in the bag, right? I mean, seriously. Wine, dined, a ring, a romantic proposal coming from this charming gift to God. I mean, complete strangers were walking by and I think they were saying, I do, I do. And they better have, because I'll tell you what, that was a pain to do, to put that dictionary together, seriously. Like, that was a pain, all right? You see, back then, you couldn't just Amazon Prime a fake dictionary that you can open up and there's like a secret compartment that you can put your ring in. You couldn't do that. You had to go, like physically, to a store. And you had to hope that they carried something like that. And here in Temecula at that time, it was pretty much belt buckles and boots. You know, maybe a couple skater items. You weren't finding these romantic things or anything like that. So I had to make one. So what did I do? Went to the bookstore and I got myself an unabridged 2,000 plus page copy of a dictionary because I needed it to be thick enough, right? So that I could put the ring in it, right? I'm thinking, no problem. You know, an unabridged copy, you ever heard of unabridged dictionary? That means every single word that's ever known to man is in that book, probably. <clears throat> so I got it, decided to take it home to my bachelor pad and create what I needed. And if you don't know me very well, I'm not very handy, okay? These are computer hands. I work on computers. Soft, no calluses, okay? Never had a hard day's work in my life. You know, got people at my house that do all the hard work. You know, Eric lives with me, father-in-law. Love watching them drinking coffee, doing the stuff. Had Chris Breeding come over just recently and had to install something for me because I don't know what the heck I'm doing. You know, seriously. But I was determined myself to do this one, right? The tools I had around the house, though, because I wasn't very handy, aren't great for this kind of endeavor. It included like a bottle opener, um, and I have like an eyeglass repair screwdriver. That's pretty much it. I don't really have any tools. But I was undeterred. I was going to make this happen. And I found a pumpkin carving knife, no joke, okay? And um, it was a good one, though. It was like a, it was thick. Or at least I thought it was a pumpkin carving knife. It could have been something else completely. I don't know. Because I wouldn't know what a tool looks like. So, um, a flathead screwdriver, I did find a normal size one, and a hammer. And with these three tools, I carved away. And after that first hour, my hands pained, sweat dripping from my brow. I made it about through about 20 pages of 2000. So, I probably underestimated the project a bit, you know. I started to doubt a little bit that whether or not I'd be able to finish it. Maybe I thought maybe I'd just, uh, you know, throw it in like a wine glass or something like that and just call it a day, the ring instead, you know. But um, I really wanted to do this. Um, and then I thought about it, and I thought how much I loved her, and I couldn't wait to be with her. And it kept me motivated, and eventually I was able to get it done. Now, it wasn't beautiful. I'm sure she remembers when she opened the thing, there was probably some paper sawdust slope in her face. And it was probably a jagged square. It wasn't really a level square or anything like that. The book probably, the dictionary probably didn't like close all the way because I was just trying to get it done. But I got it done. And I tell you this long-winded story to say I was reminiscing on this experience after my sister brought it up a couple weeks ago. And it got me thinking man, I'm awesome. But I digress. No, the real feeling was it brought back a lot of good feelings. Just to think about it. Just to think about the moments that we spent back then, just the investment made to do those things. I had these great feelings of joy. I remember sitting there, everybody was asleep. In, in Zambia, we were all off time. We were you know, 
probably 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. We're still hanging out. Finally, everybody finally falls asleep. I, um, my wife was concerned that the roar of a lion that I have when I sleep, uh, which some, I guess, in the States call it snoring, but the roar of my mighty lion was not going to allow her to sleep. So I was outside on the couch kind of just resting, and, and I, start, I was thinking about this just by myself, and uh, it brought back these really cool feelings of a different time, of a time early in our relationship. And this like exuberant wonder about what was next in our life and what the journey was to come soon. And it motivated me differently, I really, I really would say so. And I'm sure my wife would agree now that our expressions of love are probably a little bit different than they were in the beginning, you know. Back then, I was pulling out all the stops sending her flowers regularly, leaving notes on her car when she was at work, getting her those big greeting cards, remember those? Babe, the big greeting cards, throwing confetti all over them so that when she'd open it up, it'd ruin her entire house. She'd have to vacuum for days, do scavenger hunts, spontaneous trips out of town. I remember she took me to St. Louis once to see my favorite football team that I hadn't seen in, in, in a while, um, cook me special meals, Make me those like personal coupon books where you get to redeem the things that they provide in the coupon book, you know? One massage, redeem it here, you know? Um, that kind of stuff. And uh, it was great. And nowadays, it's a bit different, but I'm not saying in a bad way, I'm just saying it's different, you know? 16 years later, we, we operate differently, we do things differently. Our regular romance practice consists of us probably just hopping into bed, sending memes and Instagram reels to each other while we're right next to each other. And it's like, <laughs> check this one out. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff happening. Um, I don't know, you guys might do that too. <clears throat> while in the background is a rerun of some true crime documentary that we've already watched, playing in the background. Maybe on some special days we might have some chocolate, milk chocolate, banana chips, or something else in the bed with us that eventually gets smeared all over the place. Or mochi, we will uh, share a couple mochi here and there. Now don't get me wrong, I mean, we still make time, obviously, for one another to enjoy life together. We, we love travel, we do it a lot. We have service and ministry with one another, we still find dine. None of those things are disappearing, but it just feels different than when it did in the beginning. Where in the beginning, the expressions of acts and love, they took a lot of time, a lot of investment, a lot of planning. A lot of times now, it feels like those are being kind of like replaced with your common sense of duty to care for your wife through sheltering her, protecting her, paying for those bills, keeping a roof over her head, doing the rhythmic kind of, hey, let's go hang out with the friends or go on a, uh, out to the movies. And we do those things. But it got me thinking, because as I was thinking a couple weeks ago, I'm feeling like, man, man, those exuberant feelings of joy that came up just by remembering a proposal and all the times that we spent in the early days, has my motivation for my love for my wife changed? And of course, no one wants to feel that. You're like, whoa, I don't want to feel like it's like I'm, I'm not, not pulling my weight anymore in terms of showing her the affection that she needs and experiencing it the ways that I know we've had in the past. Like where have I changed? Where are those feelings of wonder now? That exuberant joy that I once felt. And I'm sure she at times has felt the same thing. Has anyone else felt like this? Where you're kind of just, maybe it's in a relationship like I'm explaining, or maybe it's a job, You've, you're motivated at the beginning of your job, you're all exuberant about it, and then now it's like, man, I can't, they couldn't pay me anymore to be here, you know? And things just change. Or you just do it rhythmically, it's just emotion now. And, then, and sometimes you feel like, is there, not, is, is there something wrong with that? Am I doing something wrong? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm feel, fulfilling my husbandly duties and responsibilities and obligations. It's just a different expression of love. At least just five months ago that I felt a void, a void big enough that I had considered even stepping away from the team altogether. A team that I felt like God called me to lead with my wife. I mean, again, we check all the boxes. 
We've been there before. We've led multiple teams in the past. We're familiar with the mission. We know the logistics. We knew the people in charge out there. We know the process. We know the preparation. We know it all. And yet, I felt empty. I felt a lack of motivation. I felt a lack of energy. It didn't feel the same as maybe other times. And the crazy part is, sure, it hasn't changed the way I feel about the mission out there, the orphans. I, I'm all about the cause for helping the orphans. I'm capable of shepherding the team on that mission. I'm, I, I know I'm capable of it. I can fight the good fight. I'm ready to battle. I've been part of that battle for a better part of 20 years. But something was missing. So much so that I was asking myself, what is my motivation for even being a part of this team? My wife can lead it if she's stirred up about it. Why do I got to go? And the crazy part is this motivation thing that I've been experiencing, the sad part is, I didn't even notice that I've been feeling this way probably for the better half of three years. Where you just feel like you're doing it all and you... You know it's right, and you're fighting the good fight, and you're, you know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but yet there's something that is just not clicking. Tell me somebody else has felt that way before, too. You continue to fight the good battle. You never grow weary and yet it still doesn't produce the joy that you, you expected, that you wanted, that you desired. And sometimes you feel like you don't even remember the joy because it's been such a just practice that you don't expect it to have, produce a fruit of joy anymore. You just expect it to be the fight, the battle. Where the battle feels more like a grind now, a chore now, than something that brings you joy. And right now, with all the crazy stuff that's going on in this world, I bet it's happening to a lot of us. Trying to share the truth in a world that has deemed our beliefs part of the problem, if not the problem. It can feel real, real frustrating as a Christian, as a believer. But how do we respond? We keep battling and fighting the good fight. And we know that we're going to be persecuted. But man, it didn't feel that way in the beginning. The persecution that came, yeah, it hit, but man, it didn't matter because the joy of the Lord was so heavy that it, it just we broke through it. <clears throat> and I got to be honest, with all the political noise swirling around, all the violence, the anger, the pain and loss in seeing and hearing the news of personal attacks against someone because of what they believe, has that, has that affected how I love people? How I view them? Am I, I mean, I'm still doing all the right things, but it just feels different. And in my meditation, and as I was preparing for a word in the fire that was coming from my belly, I was brought to Revelations 2. In Revelations 2, it, it begins a series of letters to the churches, the seven churches during Apostle John's time in Asia Minor. The letters were specific to each church, and the Lord was expressing kind of like an evaluation of sorts for each church. And the first letter is to the church in Ephesus. And I think it connects well with what I'm dealing with, and maybe some of you are dealing with as well. And I've been reflecting upon it with my own life, and I want to walk through it with you here today. So in Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7, it says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold, golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. 
I, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, and I'll remove the lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet, you th yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this message is to the messenger of the church in Ephesus. And it's, if you read it in Revelation, it's red-lettered, which means it's right direct from the Lord. You know, as it says in the verse, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. These lampstands represent the churches themselves that are set as lights in the dark world. And the stars being the shepherds of the churches held in God's hand. And it starts off great, right? It starts off wonderful, really. Jesus affirms their actions as a church. He knows their works intimately. He knows what they've been doing. He knows the work that they've been engaging in. He knows their toil. He knows that they have been patiently in, in, uh, in enduring issues. He knows that they're fighting the good fight against those who are evil and false apostles. He affirms them for doing it all in the name of Jesus, for not growing weary in their efforts. Because the Ephesian church, it was a hardworking group of believers full of fortitude. And also to their credit, they were kind of like the gatekeepers, that church, of truth. And they did not compromise with evildoers. And they showed patient endurance in bearing up under hardship. I mean, that's pretty cool. Imagine getting a report card from Jesus like that. In passion for Christ as of when they first believed. Their work was no longer motivated by love. In verse five, it says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. In the NIV translation, it says, consider how far you have fallen. Now we're talking 30 years, this church, just 30 years. And they're saying from the start, when they were on fire and doing it for the, you know, for the love of Jesus, that 30 years have passed and consider how far they have fallen. That's important because the language there is significant. It, it, Jesus finds this fall so significant and so important that he wants to remind you how deep of a fall you are experiencing. Now, most people would be like, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, that's going on, but, but look at all the good stuff we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is like, no, no, no. Those are great things, and I do affirm you in those, but look at the depth of your fall from where you started. You used to do all those good things and did it with the motivation of love. And when you engage those people, you did it with the motivation of love, to see them break free of whatever evil was engaged in their life so that his glory would reign in their hearts. But now, maybe, your motivation has changed. And then he comes up with the call for repentance. He doesn't just say, hey, you've fallen far. You need to repent, he says. <clears throat> In that repent, that re the call for repentance is not, a, it's not a light one if you think about it. It says, if you don't return to the love you had first, he will remove your lampstand. So the lampstand being that whole church, the authority that they get to operate with would be lost. Now, flip that over to us. We too are the light of the world. And he too 
if he sees us struggling with not returning to our first love and just operating in a different motivation that's outside of love being first and foremost, that our light can be taken from us too. That hit me. I was like, whoa, I don't want that. Ephesus was doing all the right actions, but without love, they first experienced and were motivated by it's not fully pleasing to the Lord. They were confronting sin, but it became the motivation over loving God and loving others. You ever got there? You ever been in that spot where you're like, <clears throat> you start realizing like, man, I'm confronting sin, I feel good about it, but then like, why does the outcome, the fruit of it, don't, it doesn't feel good fruit. It doesn't feel like it's tasty fruit. Very similar. And what, what, what might this look like more deeply in our own walks? Because obviously they're talking about, you know, those things of that time. But what does it look like in our walks when maybe we, our shift of motivation has changed a little bit too? Well, maybe, and I submit to you that maybe it's focusing on the battle rather than the love of Jesus. Again, it took only about 30 years for Ephesus to shift off of sight and be distracted from their first love. The devil isn't going to try to wreck a fiery, fiery, fiery heart on fire for God in a day. He's gonna throw things at you for sure. But what you often probably see is it's a slow and deliberate, like, ugh, poison that continues to just distract you from your first love. In essence, slowly, duty replaces the motivation of love. Obligation replaces the motivation of love. As a husband, I felt a duty to take care of my wife. It started replacing that exciting, exuberant joy to want to do it because I want to just see the joy on her face. As a Christian, if I'm operating and I'm confronting sin and I'm attacking it and I'm speaking truth, but it's not with love, then what's my motivation? And what am I hoping to get out of it as a result? We get into these rhythms and motions and, and routines of our walk and we lose sight of why we began to walk in the first place. Was it intentional? No, none of us intentionally like, hey, I'm gonna stick with love to begin with, but then who cares about that love stuff afterwards? No, it's just through the grind, you start to lose sight of the very reason that brought you there in the first place. You know, we get spiritually distracted and we allow the practice to outweigh the providence. We forget what God is really keeping us in, which is this opportunity of amazement. When we were praying earlier, the, you know, um, uh, Bob shared, like, we, the word's not even good enough, but amazed. We are just amazed by who you are. And it's true. I feel it. And yet here, we can lose it. We don't stay in that wonder. We don't stay in that amaze, that awe feeling of Wow. Instead, we just start going through the repetition of being a Christian that's fighting after the good fight. And we have all our practices and all our exercises together to do it. But is it still motivated by the first love, the thing that brought us out of rebellion? I get this picture of like when Peter is called out of the boat. And, you know, we always know that story that, you know, as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, things were good. The moment he took his eyes off it, then he starts thinking, right? And I think this is a good application of that. It's like out here, when we're trying to step out of the boat, that's the battle. The storms are the battle. But when we kept our eye, when Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he wasn't worried about the storm. We were able to still operate even as the storm was running. So the battles are happening and we confront the battles but our hope, and I think what Jesus is saying is, as we keep our eyes on him, those storms will not be effective in any of their, they won't prosper. So we gotta keep our eyes there, focusing on the battle rather than the love of Jesus. We gotta shift that. Remember our motivation. Or offense. How does it look like in our lives when we're experiencing offense? 
You know, Bill Johnson of Bethel Church in Reading, he recently shared a, 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 a post and, and, and a message related to the spirit of offense. Some of you may have saw it. <clears throat> and he says basically that when we partner with it, it gives us the ability to hear things that were not said. Ever see a post on social media that offends you and you want to respond? In the name of the Lord, of course, right? I know I have. I have. Sometimes I get so hyped up that I start adding commentary to the social media picture. And just want, I, want, I add my own stuff to it. They said this. Even though they didn't say that. But I start feeling that way. You know? Remember a friend posting a social media picture recently um, of people at a voting booth <clears throat> with the text, bring your thoughts and prayers here. And I knew what they were trying to say, or at least I was making an assumption of what they're trying to say is every time that we say thoughts and prayers when there's some kind of tragic issue in the world that your thoughts and prayers aren't making changes in this world, so bring it to, you know, to vote and that'll make change in this world. Yeah, surely has. Just look at how well that's worked. And I want to get angry, and I want to respond back. My social media response trigger finger is ready. <laughs> and I started, started to hear other things in that post, though. It wasn't just about that. I felt like she was attacking prayer. It wasn't just that. I felt she was attacking me and my prayer and the fact that I engage in prayer. And it wasn't just that. That prayer is the way I communicate with God. So she's attacking God. She's a heretic. She needs to be burned at the stake. See how that can, I mean, you could like really get there, you know? If she weighs as much as a duck. <clears throat> but you have to ask yourself, what is your motivation to respond in that situation? Is it to clap back against the offense? The offense? Is it to battle the lies with, uh, and spit back some truth? Or is it to love that person for they know not what they do? A person that's in rebellion doesn't even know any better. They don't know what we know. So what are we going to do? Here's a way to get them to know God. I'm a good believer. I'm a good person in this body. I do good things for this place. Amazing. That one's true. But, <clears throat> but offense, you know, that's a big one right now. The spirit of offense is all over this place, especially here in the States. You get offended real easily. And as a Christian, we're not even called into being offense, offended so easily. We shouldn't. We have the love of God. We have a hedge of protection around us all the time. That, those offenses, if we're suited up in the armor of God, those fiery darts shouldn't even be hitting us that hard. So maybe we're not suited up. Maybe we've allowed something to get a foothold in our life, to allow those offenses to hurt us a little bit more. Put Christmas back into Starbucks cups. I remember that one. It's like, wow, that guy's really mad about a cup. Yeah. At times, fighting the spiritual battle before us can become so consuming that all we can do is focus on that battle and we forget about loving the one who died for us. We forget about those, the loving those that are, are hurting right now. We forget about loving one another. We forget about the fact that we once were that person in rebellion, living in rebellion of God. It's at times like this that we need to stop and think and listen for the voice of God and repent, which means just to turn away from what we're doing. In the end of that scripture, that passage, Jesus promises a blessing for those who heed the word. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Of course, we know this is the new heavens and new earth discussed in Revelations 21 and 22. <clears throat> Question is, how do we overcome, though? How do we conquer, as the scripture says? Nikao is the Greek word, overcome. 
We have to overcome something. It's not something that is just gonna disappear. We have to get over it. We have to beat it. We have to conquer it. Well, we have to have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying. If we're, if we're responding so quickly to things without letting the Spirit tell us how to respond, you're already at a disadvantage. If you're like, oh, I already have this one in, in my, in my uh, bag of tricks. I already can deliver this back. I don't even need to hear the Spirit on this one. I got a response for that one right away. Pow. Oh, that thing right there? You, no problem. If we're not letting the Spirit lead us in every single engagement that we have, then we don't know if we're actually operating in the way that God would want us to operate with that person. And yet we do it. We have to have a repentant heart. We got to turn. He's got to pull that lampstand. We got to turn the other way and allow his, the, the first love that brought us together to lead us. <clears throat> what are some other practices to maintain? We got to practice remembrance. Remember the times that God has done amazing thing in your, in things in your life your previous testimony of life, the things where it brought you that exuberant joy that I was talking about earlier. Don't forget those things. Whenever you're in, if you're in a, if you're a married couple and you're like, man, remember the times when we used to do this stuff and it brings this ridiculous amount of joy? Live in that. Share that regularly. Don't be, don't be like, oh, that was a different time. We're different people now. We're old. We don't do it anymore. We can't do that kind of stuff anymore. No. You know, we, we have to engage in that first love, those are the things that brought us and we were hungry for and we were motivated for. Those are the things we got to stay in. And the same thing with our walk. We were living in rebellion at one point, but God had a love for us that we embraced and it brought us out of captivity. It brought us out of being in bondage, of being slaves. And we were hungry for it. And we need to, we need to engage back in that. So we got to practice remembrance regularly. Think about what God has done in your life. In the past, bring it up. You see it in the, you see it in the Psalms all the time. I was, I was struggling. The world was coming down on me. But then you rose up and you did this for me. And I will remember that day because that is what you know, brought, me, uh, you know, brought me out of captivity. Those are the things. That, those are things that David were spe- was speaking because he felt like, man, I felt the worst but I will remember what you've done because that means you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you will do it again. So we practice remembrance. We can never lose our wonder. If you aren't operating like a child in the kingdom and just seeing that every time God does something unbelievable, you're like, whoa, that is unbelievable. And the unbelievable can be something as simple as just seeing somebody <clears throat> break free of a habit that they had. That's an amazing thing. Or somebody that has a big challenge ahead of them, and, but they keep on fighting. Even though they, that challenge could be something that, that is, in most cases, one would believe not surmountable, insurmountable. And yet, with God, you know that he's able to do it. We can never lose our wonder. We have to think like, wow, God is going to do crazy and amazing things, miraculous wonders again. And as we step into that and recognize that wonder, the exuberant joy comes from it because we're just, you know, we're just amazed by it, you know? I remember watching like a, a little kid see a magic trick for the first time. It's like, whoa, what just happened there? That's crazy, you know? I want to see it again. But a magician never does his trick twice because he might get caught. But with God, he's doing it all the time. He's great. So never lose our wonder. And then lastly, we have to reflect upon the fresh testimony of his goodness that's happening in our lives regularly or around us. It's not enough to be like, yeah, I'm going to speak my testimony, yeah. Back in 74, when Jesus met me, that was a great time. Thank you. you know, he is working in our lives every single day, and we need to be stepping into that and remembering that and speaking about that and sharing it with others as a level of encouragement, not just to them, but to us, um, ourselves, so we know that he continues to demonstrate that he is moving every day in our lives. So if we 
have that repentant heart, if we have ears to hear the spirit moving every time we're, we're ready to engage, if we practice remembrance and remember what he's done in our lives, if we never lose our wonder and make sure that everything that we see in his creation, in his people, in, in, in interactions, that he has a part in the goodness and every perfect and good gift comes from him. And then lastly, we recognize and speak that testimony with others. We share it because it's through our testimonies and the demonstration of a gospel that people will be transformed. So if we have to return to our first love then, how do we define love? Because again, my expressions of love to my wife right now, I think are, you know, they check, they check off the boxes. I mean, we go, we go to dinners, we spend time together, we, you know, we have a good time. But what does love look like? When we think of love, well, I'm, I love that person. This time it's a hard love, it's a tough love. I get that, there's times for that, there's challenges, there's times where you have to speak like that. <clears throat> but let me tell you this, if love in that definition doesn't line up with what I would say is 1 Corinthians 13 love, then maybe you should rethink whether or not what you're doing or engaging in is truly love. And what does that love look like? Is it kind? So let's use an example. Like if we're about to engage somebody, either on social media or in person, and we're, we're revved up about something, is my expression of love, is it kind? Is it patient? Is it free from boasting or envy? Is it free from arrogance or rudeness? Is it free from pride? Does it honor others? Is it others focused instead of self-seeking? Is it not easily angered when I'm sharing it? Does it deliver a sense of anger or is, is it not easily angered? Does it keep no records of wrongs? Or is it calling up things that they've done in the past? Does it protect? Does it always trust? Does it always hope? Does it always persevere? If what's coming out of you that you express is an expression of love and it doesn't look like that, check yourself. I am, I have to. Because I'll tell you what, there's many a times that the things that I thought I was expressing in love did not look like that. It looked very much different from that. And I am so sorry. Like the Ephesians church, we can easily fall prey to a cold and mechanical observance of religion. Like Ephesians, we might focus solely on, I don't know, doctrinal purity or hard work to the exclusion of the true love of Christ. And as this letter shows, no amount of zeal for the truth or moral rectitude can replace a heart full of the love of Jesus. None of it. Without love, those things are bankrupt. As it says in 1 Corinthians 13 again, we're like a, a, a clanging symbol. We're nothing. We gain nothing without love. I'm so glad that I didn't make a stupid choice and bow out of my, the mission team. Because I learned an important lesson there, thanks to my sister who brought up something about a very important time in my life with my wife. And it brought back an exuberant joy. Now, God is doing something and may that posture just saturate you and overwhelm you. As you leave this place, you're just filled with it. Because when we are, and when we're living in that posture, this world will be a different place, I promise. I promise. Because then we will put down the weapons that we've formed to try to operate in the sense of duty, and yet we'll have a motivation to bring people into an encounter with the living God. 
So some questions to leave with you that you can meditate on. Is my heart and love for God worthy of the gospel? Is my love for both God and others displayed in how I live? Do I love the Lord with all my heart and are my actions in, a, in alignment with the heart of God as it is when I first believed? Do my actions display my love for God in such a way that others see my love for Jesus and a love for people who are lost so that they will experience the love of Jesus that I experienced for themselves? Am I loving others and loving God in the same manner that I once did when I first believed? Can I ask my bride of my youth to come up and close us out in a prayer and a word? Give it up for my lovely, lovely bride. Good morning. Um, I brought my Bible up, but honestly, I'm like losing my eyesight because I was sitting back there and I'm like trying to read it, so I'm just going to go off of my phone. Um, during this week um, of me just praying for what God wanted me to share, um, I felt like he gave me a, a picture of a like human heart but not like the lovey-dovey like anniversary heart, but like the actual human heart. Um, but the heart wasn't like, like alive and pumping like blood. It was like black and like calloused and dried and like no signs of life in it. And so kind of trying to just, you know, talk with God and, and really listen to what he was trying to share with me, um, I felt he brought me to... Um, Matthew 13, 15. And he says there that the hearts of the people have grown dull or calloused. They are barely here, or I'm sorry, they can barely hear with their ears and their eyes are closed. Why? They don't want to see or hear or understand because then they would need to repent. And as I was, like, listening and just trying to figure out, like, well, what, how does this, like, you know, tying in with this image that he gave? And I felt like the Lord was saying, like, these are, your, these are the people. Like, not the people that are out there necessarily that don't know the, the word of God, but it's the church. You know, there's so many of us that have this hardened and calloused heart for, I mean, fill in the blank. <laughs> it could be the busyness of your day. It could be your work. It could be your marriage. It could be you know, severed relationships. It could be an illness that you're battling. I mean, each and every one of us have and are going through things that I think have calloused our heart, that have taken us away from our true love, which is our Heavenly Father and pouring into Him and not being distracted by the offenses or, or, or whatever it may be that you're currently going through. And what's great is, like, that's not the end of the story, you know, that's not where we have to be. And if we go to Ezekiel, let's see, Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and you a heart of flesh. And I feel just like how that ties in so beautifully was just what, what Micah was sharing of like, we need, to, we need to repent and turn to him. And when we do that, you know, our heart is going to be full and full of excitement of that. You know, everybody knows like where they were when they, you know, first gave their life to the Lord and the excitement that they had. And like he wants that for us all the time. And so I just see like, I felt like the Lord was saying like, this is, this is the call for the church for today of this is so many of us have a heart right now, whether or not it's a small callus or a big callus. But it's been hardened in some way, but I felt like the Lord brought me back to that picture, and as he brought me to Ezekiel, like, I could see, like, that heart that he showed me at the beginning, it, it wasn't dried up all the way. There was still blood pumping. We just could, I just couldn't see it because of the callus. And as I felt like people were just laying everything at his feet and repenting and just saying, yes, Lord, like, I've chosen X, Y, Z 
in front of you, like I felt the heart just continue just to start getting brighter red and pumping faster and faster. And so I just feel like right now, like I just want to pray. Like I feel like if you are someone right now who knows like your heart is calloused and whether or not it's like an inch or you feel like your whole heart is calloused and hardened over something, I just want, I just ask that you in obedience just stand and just receive from the Lord while we pray. Um, If there's someone near you who's not standing, if you want to put a hand on them, and I just want to close this out because I feel like right now the Lord wants to break chains. He wants to free us from the calluses of our hearts, and he wants us to fully 100% devote our life to him, and we can't do that with these calluses and the things that we're putting in front of us, in front of him, I should say. So if you just, um, if you just feel led to stand, I'm just going to, I'm just going to listen to the Lord and I'm just going to pray for you. And if there's someone that's next to you, um, please just extend a hand, um, put a, your hand on their back, and we'll just close this out today with, um, with a prayer. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your, for your goodness, for your love, for your grace. And right now, Father God, we, we just come against the enemy and his lies the chains, the lies that, that we have, the blinders that we've had on, Father God, the veil that have been put over our eyes, Father God, that keeps us from our true focus, which is you. So, Father God, I just pray that each and every one of us just lays those burdens at your feet right now in Jesus' name. And as we do, Father God, that your Holy Spirit falls afresh on us, A waterfall of your spirit just washes away, Father God, anything and everything, Lord, that we have put before you. And I pray, Father God, that you just invade our heart right now, Lord Jesus, that if it was dull, if it was callous and hardly pumping, I just pray, Lord, that that blood is pumping 100% right now in the name of Jesus, that our love for you is going to grow exponentially from this point on. That, we will, that no one will be able to contain us, Father God, of the love and excitement that we have in pursuing you. So, Father God, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. And we just want more of you. So, Father God, just heavenly Father, just pour your spirit onto this church right now, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We say yes to you. And we are excited, Lord, for what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was singing.